We are moving right along in the book of Matthew. We're still in chapter 11. Yeshua is speaking of John the Baptist. In Hebrew, we would say Yochran Hamachvil. And you may or may not have noticed that we skipped by a few important verses, so I want to back up to those verses today. And the verses we're going to focus on today will be Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. And before we read them, I want you to notice and put on a back burner to simmer that they're kind of sandwiched between some verses that speak of John as being the Elijah who was to come. So we're going to start in verse 7 and we'll read down through uh, this. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Yeshua began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than than he. And these are the verses we're going to look at. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Let him who has ears, let him hear. So the NIV is really a little closer to the what I think is the understanding, yet it really doesn't give us an accurate understanding of what John's saying. And that's probably why they call it the nearly inerrant version. (laughs) But if we look at the King James, it's actually worse. It reads this way. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Reading the King James at first glance, you would think that the kingdom of heaven must be violently taken with force on the part of its inhabitants or something. The problem with this rendering is that Yeshua did no violence and nor has anyone gotten into the kingdom through violence. I suppose there's been some violence done to those in the kingdom. So we know right away, as theologians have known down through the centuries, that there's a problem with our understanding of the words of Yeshua in these translations. And the problem is that even though we understood there was a problem, no one could find the solution to the problem. The fact is, there are many possible renderings for this verse. And you find this verse rendered differently in, in various versions of the Bible because of that. And rather than bore you with all the readings of those versions, we're going to go into why. We're going to take a different route and we'll look at why this happened. You see, the problem is in the Greek word that we have translated in the King James violence and forcefully in the NIV. And it's the Greek word baedzatai. And I put the definition up here. And it means to crowd oneself, to suffer violence, to force. You notice all these different meanings, the force or violence, as translated in some versions. And these differences in translations occur when the word is used in a different voice. Sometimes they translate it in a passive voice or an active voice or middle reflexive. In the active, it would mean the kingdom is violently breaking into the world. In other words, the kingdom is violently or forcefully advancing, as some would translate it. 
In the passive, it would mean the kingdom of heaven suffers violence from others. This meaning of this meaning of force is most accurately conveyed in the King James. It suffers violence, it says. In the middle voice, it becomes reflexive. It could mean the kingdom of heaven is inflicting violence or dominance. Well, this is why we have so many differing opinions and translations, and none of them really reflect the words of Yeshua and the kingdom. So our first problem is how we translate this verb. Matthew is translated from the Hebrew, but Luke wrote his gospel in the original Greek. And so he solved the problem by not using the word baezatai. He uses the word yoangalizo, which means to preach, basically. I put the meaning up here for you, but basically what it means is to preach. And so he renders it this way. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. This is, we're going to see, is very close to the intended meaning. But there's still a problem. And the problem occurs later in the verse when biazo is used again as a noun this time in biastes, which means, which, where it's translated, the violent take it. Here again, it's used in the negative sense, the violent are taking. However, if we use it in the positive sense, it would be translated more like, and forceful men lay hold of it, which would speak of how hard discipleship in the kingdom would be. So hard that only the most forceful, or we could say the most committed, can lay hold of it. Again, of these two, the second would be closer to the first, but there's a problem with all of them. Now the amazing thing of all of this is is this mystery was solved by someone who was not even a believer that Yeshua was the Messiah. But the mystery was actually solved by an Orthodox Jew who after reading the Gospels thought Yeshua was a Zadik. He was a righteous man, a righteous Jewish rabbi of the first century. And this Jewish rabbi studied the words of Yeshua. He's written books about Yeshua and his teachings because he thought so highly of Yeshua as a first century rabbi. His name was David Flusser. And Dr. Flusser, a respected Orthodox Jewish scholar, made the connection between the idea of forcing their way in here and Micah chapter 2. Later, Robert Lindsay, in his book, Jesus, Rabbi, and Lord, suggested that the Greek word baizetai was a translation from Matthew's original Hebrew, and the Hebrew word that he used was porates, which means to break through, to break out, which would also take us to Micah chapter 2. You might remember from our last year's teachings about Yeshua in the Torah that the word porates is the name of one of Yeshua's ancestors. The twins born to Tamar. Let's read that passage. It's in Genesis 38, verses 27 through 30. It talks about the birth of this child. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. And she was, as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife tied a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. She said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Parates. And his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was given the name Zerah. And so we get the meaning of the word parates 
in what the words of the midwife says. So you have broken out. You see, parates means to break out, to break forth. It's a breaker. And so we really owe our understanding of this verse to a fellow named Dr. Flusser, later Robert Lindsay, who had made this connection between this passage and Micah chapter 2, which we're going to look at in a moment. But I want to look at one more word in this verse first. And it's the Greek word for take it by force. Remember it said the violent take it by force. It's actually the word harpuzo. And it means to seize, to snatch away. It's the word in 1 Thessalonians used for caught up to meet Messiah in the air. To be caught up, to seize, to claim for oneself. Well, as I said, Professor Flusser saw these things and Lindsay related them through the word parates to a passage in Micah. So let's look at the verse. And I put in parentheses where this word parates would occur in Micah chapter 2. And it reads this way. I will surely gather you, O Jacob. I will surely bring you together, the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go before them and they will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And so this verse speaks of King Messiah gathering Israel and they're going to, it speaks of them breaking forth like sheep from a pen, like sheep that were penned up for the evening. And now in the morning, they're hungry. They're thirsty. And so they break forth out of the pen into pasture. One breaking through the fence first is the king. The Lord is at the head. And I want to read this in the English translation of the Septuagint because it gives us a little better feel for the verse. From the LXE, Jacob shall be completely gathered with all of his people. I will surely receive the remnant of Israel. I will cause them to return together as sheep in trouble, as a flock in the midst of their fold. They shall rush forth, and from among men through the breach made before them, they have broken through and passed through the gate and gone out by it. And their king has gone out before them. The Lord shall lead them. And so here's the imagery presented by this passage in Micah. The shepherd has penned up his sheep for the evening. You know, if you go to Israel, what you have is a lot of rocks, not a lot of wood. Particularly where the shepherds graze, their flocks. And so what they would do is they would use rocks to build a sheep pen at night. And this was done by making a makeshift rock pen and then brush for a gate. And since they traveled about looking for pasture, usually it was, they liked to find a cliff or a hillside to do it next to because it was a natural barrier. And they would do this by placing rocks and brush to seal off the entrance. Well, by morning, the sheep were hungry, thirsty, tired of being crowded in. And so in the morning, the shepherd would break down a small opening in the gate and he would call the sheep and the sheep would come rushing forth out of that little pen breaking the hole wider and wider. The shepherd of Micah in both Jewish thought and, of course, Christian thought would be the Messiah. He's the one that's going to gather Israel. Now, with the imagery found by Professor Flusser and expanded upon by Robert Lindsay in his book, Jesus, Rabbi, and Lord, and later in another book by Bivin and Blizzard entitled Understanding the Difficult Words of Jesus, we should, could translate now this verse this way. 
And from the days of Yochanan the Immerser until now, the kingdom of heaven is being breached and those breaching it are taking hold of it. Now I want to go back to our back burner for a minute. Remember I told you to put on the back burner that this was all about, that John was being spoken of before and after. Well, in the Midrash on Micah, chapter 2, there's also a reference to Elijah being the one who opens the gate. And then the Lord follows through. And I believe, as Lindsay and Biven and Blizzard, that this is what Yeshua is referring to. John came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near, breaking down the gate that penned in the sheep. He did that, as Luke said, by preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near. And since that time, those hearing the message are taking hold of the message and breaking forth into the pasture of the kingdom, called by the voice of the shepherd, our Lord Yeshua. Messiah uses the same imagery in the book of John, and it it too is an allusion to the same passage in Micah. Let's just read John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. It says, I tell you the truth, the man who doesn't enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Now listen to this. The watchman, and I put some names in here, the watchman, Elijah and John, opens the gate for him, Yeshua, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Notice in the passage, Yeshua refers to the watchman opens the gate. And I put Elijah and John in there in parentheses because that's undoubtedly a reference to Yochanan the Immerser, who began to preach, the kingdom of heaven is near. And as I said, if we look at the Hebrew Midrash on Micah, there's a reference to Elijah being the one who opens that gate. You know, sheep, though they're very dumb animals, they're really dumb animals, I don't know if you've ever had any experience with sheep. And they're easy prey for predators because they're aimless runners and they're not very bright. But there's one sense that they have that's very acute. And that's their hearing. They know the voice of the shepherd. Here's a quote from a dictionary on biblical imagery. It says this, So close is the connection between shepherd and sheep that to this day Middle Eastern shepherds can divide flocks that have mingled at the well or during the night by calling their sheep who follow their shepherd's voice. And so John, the prophet or the watchman, who was the Elijah who was to come, opens the breach of the fence. And Yeshua, the good shepherd, begins to call the sheep to the pasture of the kingdom of heaven. If we read in verse 5, it says... They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Yeshua used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. You see, here's the troubling part of the message, as far as I'm concerned, because many have not heard the voice of Yeshua, but they're following a stranger. They say Yeshua did away with the Torah. The Torah is no longer valid for our lives. And yet Yeshua was a Torah-observant Jew. One of the things that Professor Flusser brings out over and over in his writings is this, and I, I quoted it from his book, Jesus. He says, The germ of the revolution in Yeshua 
preaching does not emerge from a criticism of Jewish law, but from other premises altogether. The premise did not originate with Yeshua. To the contrary, his critical assault stemmed from the attitudes already established before his time. Revolution broke through at three points. The radical interpretation of the commandment of mutual love, the call for new morality, and the idea of the kingdom of heaven. You see, Professor Flusser, this Orthodox Jew who read the Gospels without an axe to grind, just put them back into their original context, realized what we've all come to know, because I know I'm preaching to the choir here. The Master did not, would not, could not do away with the Torah. And Shaul, his disciple, his emissary to the nations, could not, would not do it either. And yet we have Christians who seem to be hearing this voice telling them that the Torah is no more, telling them that detestable things are now are all right with God. So what voice are they hearing? It's not the voice of the shepherd. Certainly not the master. Those are some hard verses, but not what I want to focus on today. Let's read on in verse 7. Therefore Yeshua said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come out, come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we begin to see this passage, Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. And this passage here are extremely complementary as they are to Micah. Yeshua tells us he's the gate and those that go through him will find pasture and life to the full. Those who follow the message of John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, will break forth from captivity and find contentment, safety and the shalom that's spoken of in the Beatitudes. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have sheep of another pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my Father. And so Yeshua here alludes to the kingdom going out to the nations. Finally, I want to just back up to Matthew 11 and verse 13 and, and, and finish this out with these last few verses. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Now, if we were, it weren't bad enough that we can't get the translation of verse 12 correct, what we've done to verse 13 is even a greater travesty. Because we purposely butcher this verse to accommodate our own traditions. There are those who tell us that Yeshua did what he said no one could do and abolish the law of Moses. And they use this to say that the law of Moses ended with John. And Yeshua. And then there are those who want to tell you the prophecy ended with John and Yeshua. And then there are those who want to tell you that both of those ended with John and Yeshua. The fact is, all three are impossible renderings as they abolish the rest of Scripture. 
Listen to Allison Davies' commentary on the book of Matthew. He wrote this. Many have detected in Matthew 11.13 a degeneration of the law. Indeed, it has been common for Christian interpreters to assume that Yeshua was implicitly abolishing the authority of Moses when he said the law and the prophets were until John. According to Tertullian, the burdens of the law ceased with John. In another, in another place, the same author informs us that some early Christians used our verse as reasoning to disregard Old Testament legislation. Similar views have been held by modern scholars. This interpretation is as bad as inflicting violence because, like that phrase, it flies in the face of the rest of the Bible. Yeshua's words and Paul's words. To say that prophecy ended with John is to say that Yeshua giving the gift of prophecy was for nothing. And that this verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Messiah may be built up until we reach a unity of faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Messiah. If that was the case, we'd just have to say, well, Paul just put that in his letter for filler because it wasn't true. As far as doing away with the Torah, let me just read the words of Yeshua. Suffer with me for a minute as we read these words of Yeshua one more time. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Is heaven and earth still here? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I'm standing on something here. I find it so sad. To close this out, I just want to give you my feelings here. I find it so sad that it took 2,000 years for the truth of Yeshua's words to be revealed. And what's even sadder is that it had to come through the mouth of an Orthodox Jew and not those who are to be the shepherds of the flock, who are to be the shepherds of the flock. Listen, folks, until we can throw out our anti-Semitism, our hatred and our prejudice of Torah and the prophets or anything Jewish, we as Christians are doomed not to understand the words of Yeshua. But I want you to take hope, friends, because there will soon be a day, there will soon be a revival among the Jewish people who will do as Flusser did and search Scripture, search tradition, and put this book back into its proper context. And the words of Yeshua will come alive for the world once again. Did I say one day soon? Oh, I should have said it. It's already begun. It began in the 60s with Messianic Judaism. So once again, we can say this. The truths of the kingdom of heaven are being breached and those breaching it are taking hold of it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.